0: It's something for nothing. The Rush Fan Cast.
1: Jerry and Steve with you. Jer, what's going on? Oh, uh, you know, just like everybody else, I'm trying to construct a life uh, that makes sense from things found in gift shops. Wow, you had an answer for me. I love that. I had an answer. It's a Kurt Vonnegut quote. Oh, very One nice. One of his books.
0: Very nice. You can find us on Twitter, at Rush Fan Instagram, we are at the TheRushCast. Email Jerry, TheRushCast at gmail.com. The base intro and outro Done by Lex, as usual. He's always there for us. He's always there for us. And today I'm very excited. We're doing another live album today.
1: I know. Very cool. I, I don't want to say anything up front. I'm going to save it all. Save it all. Save
0: it all. Why don't you read an email for us and we'll get right into it.
1: Okay. This email is about snakes and arrows. All It's from Jeremy. What's up, Jeremy? He says, hi guys. Just discovered the show last week and I'm so grateful for it. I didn't think I could love Rush more than I do, but your album podcasts have deepened my appreciation even more. So much so, it deepened my grief over Neil's death, which spilled out in my eighth grade science class this week. Oh, boy. I told them about his death from brain cancer as we were talking about the shift of analog media to digital. And when I told them about Signals and the analog kid digital man connection, I started to get teary-eyed. Wow i thought deeply about Neil's lyrics for years, but not since a project in 10th grade lit where I analyzed the lyrics of subdivisions have I had much opportunity to discuss them. I've thought a lot about Neil's moral values in relation to his religious worldview throughout his career. My first exposure to Rush was Roll the Bones. As a religious person myself, I've been in this ongoing internal dialogue with his music. My greatest wish would probably be having a full day in a conversation with him about this. So let me just throw something out there I thought of in your Snakes and Arrows podcast where you talked about the centrality of religious themes on the album. I want to analyze Faithless in relation to The Way the Wind Blows. Okay. This gets a little little heavy. It's going to be a good question at the end. In Faithless, Neil presents himself as an almost purely autonomous individual who is able to discern right from wrong, good from evil, and wise from unwise, using his own powers of reason, intuition, and conscience and not just tell the difference, but orient his actions to the good. But in the way the wind blows, we have a much different depiction of a person in relation to larger forces. Instead of an autonomous individual who's got his own moral compass to steer by, we have an individual being tossed around by the wind, which you helpfully interpreted as the forces of culture, tradition, authority, etc. Here, the autonomous individual cannot rise above the cultural winds and forces of social conformity to choose some untraveled path unique to himself. Did Neil somehow think himself to be the exception to the we in this song? There is no indication of that. So while I believe it is possible for people to be good without being religious. Is it possible for an individual person in a free Western nation with a Judeo-Christian heritage, which looms large in our respect for human rights, for instance, even if it is increasingly secular in practice? We all recognize the moral virtues in these men and their music. They have certainly risen above the winds of rock and roll culture and staying committed to each other and their wives. They treat their fans with dignity and respect, and they don't exploit or fleece them like some bands do. But they are products of a culture and tradition that is inextricable from religious beliefs and values, whether Getty's Jewish mom or Alex's Serbian Orthodox parents. And they were raised in a country with heavy Catholic influences. So while they weren't personally religious, could they be so virtuous and noble without these larger cultural wins? As a Catholic myself, I don't see autonomous individualism versus social conformity as an either-or proposition. There is a deep synergy between tradition and individualism, between receptivity and spontaneity, and I think clockwork angels gets at that in a profound way. I've got a ton of thoughts about this, but I'll leave you with this. The anarchist slash the wreckers is a picture of a radical autonomy apart from the social conformity to religion and larger forces. The watchmaker is the opposite, social conformity with no respect for the individual. Societies tend to be one way or the other, don't they? The protagonist is trying to find his way between these extremes and seems to find some resolution or balance in the circus, which synthesizes both a tradition, rules, something larger than yourself, with respect for diversity, creativity, weirdness, etc., cetera. Uh, with gratitude, Jeremy. What do you think about that?
0: Well, we could spend an hour probably talking about that. What do you think?
1: Well, that was what I was trying to bring up when we were talking about faithless. You know, where does that moral compass come by? Just these things don't spring from themselves. Right. They're either they're your reaction to something, or they are you know, your acceptance of something, I suppose. And I think that's what he's trying to get at. Somewhere in between the individual in faithless and the bent tree from the winds and the way the wind blows uh, is the truth of, of how one accepts religion into their life or doesn't.
0: I wonder what Jeremy's eighth grade class thought of that. Do you think he presented that to his eighth grade class?
1: It sounds like he was just talking about <laughs> media, digital analog and he went on a tangent about analog kid and digital man and got a little teary-eyed in front of them.
0: How cool would it have been in eighth grade, Jared, to have a rush fan as a teacher?
1: I mean, I wasn't into them at the, in the eighth grade, but I'm sure it would have been great. We had a great teacher, sixth grade who was really, really into the Beatles. Do you remember her? Mrs. Gariglia was into the Beatles. (laughs) Oh my God. Yes. I think it was right. (laughs) Or wasn't that seventh grade? Seventh grade, man. I don't remember. Sixth, seventh. I remember all the teachers. I just don't know which one was into the Beatles. I remember that on the anniversary of John Lennon's uh, death, she wore all black and black sunglasses all day, and she told us that was why. But anyway, it was a great question. I don't know the answer to it. If anybody else in the audience wants to write me an email on the subject, feel free. I have. I have no answer to it. But I had never thought about that perspective on Clockwork Angels. So I'm definitely going to have to bring that, you know, being the circus part about the circus being the balance between rules and rulelessness, if you want to call it that. I never thought about that. So that's going to be good to talk about.
0: Well, the cool thing is we still haven't talked about Clockwork Angels, so we've got time to pull all that together. Yeah, we do. So Jared, today we are going to talk about different stages Now, if you recall, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about an article that our good friend Ryan Reed posted on Ultimate Classic Rock, and he picked different stages as his number one Rush live album.
1: Yep. Do you remember what I said? You said that was BS. That's right. (laughs) And I don't know if he listens, but I, again, owe him an enormous apology. (laughs) Right? Isn't this great? I mean, this This might be my favorite one. This very well could be
0: the number one
1: Rush Live album. I think he's right. I think he's right. That crazy, crazy bastard. He's right. (laughs) I just can't believe, like, I was so like, that's impossible that he thinks that this is the best one. And I listened to it like three times. So, oh my God, it's so good, Steve. We're going to have so much fun today. It's so good. Rush's fourth live album
0: released January 9th, 1998, produced by Geddy Lee and Paul Northfield. The running time, Jar, You add up all three CDs. Yep. 202 minutes and 44 seconds. How about
1: that? Which is a lot. Three hours. Yeah. No, four hours. It's
0: more than three hours. 180 minutes would be three hours.
1: Yeah. It's probably seven hours.
0: No, it's probably three hours and 22 minutes and 44
1: seconds. (laughs) Let's say 20. And let's just agree to disagree that it's 20 20 hours.
0: Now, this was released shortly after the deaths of Neil's wife and daughter. Mm -hmm. And Neil was not involved at all in the project. Right. But the the album was dedicated to Jackie and Selena.
1: Yeah. I was curious about the cover art. What do you thought about the cover art?
0: I've actually got a quote from Hugh here. I believe this is from The Art of Rush.
1: Okay, I'm sure he knows.
0: I felt freed up, not because I didn't have to answer to anyone, specifically to Neil. Just one of those things where I felt very playful. The Tinker Toys looked like the aerial buildings in the Jetsons and represented levels, stages. Oh, nice. Yeah. And uh, I got a quote from Getty on the cover art. We tried to do something we thought Neil would like with the Tinker Toys. It was great to be playful again. It was great to do something playful during what was a very sad time in our lives. And then he says, we had to represent Neil by placing him in the second story window. What? Maybe I'm blind, but I, I can't see that.
1: What? I don't see it. What, what, what are they talking I don't about? see it
0: either. I looked with a magnifying glass. I couldn't see it.
1: My thought about the album was that, as always, there were three little tinker toy hubs. Mm-hmm. And one of them is separated from the other two. Oh. And I was wondering if it was a twofold thing. One, that the first two discs are from the Test for Echo, kind of you know, like the regular, quote-unquote, regular live album. And the third one would represent the third disc, which is from, what tour is that from? It is from Farewell the King's tour. Farewell the King's tour. And it might also represent the distance between Alex and Getty and Neil—the physical difference since he wasn't there mm-hmm. during the putting the album together—that makes sense. That makes sense. I don't know. If, I don't know if it's true or just a coincidence.
0: But it's a simple and, and cool. It is cool concept for sure. Yeah. So I've also got a quote from Getty. This, Jarrah, is from Driven, Rush in the '90s. We talked to Martin Popoff Ooh. a few weeks back. Yep. We had been recording material for two tours, explained Getty. We are gathering quite an overwhelming library of material, actually, and coupled with the discovery of tapes from 1978, it was just obvious that we needed to put a package together. And in my mind, seeing that we were coming up on 25 years as a band, I thought it was an opportune moment to put together a retrospective, in essence, from a live point of view. And because a lot of the responsibility for this project gravitated into my corner, I just kind of decided what the concept was going to be. Okay. So a few more things on the album, Jared, before we... Get into the songs. Okay. This is the only live album which featured a full performance of 2112 in its entirety. Yep. And the Test for Echo tour, as you know, is the only tour that Rush played that song in its entirety. I do remember. And it was also the first time that Rush did an evening with Rush.
1: Oh, was it? The
0: opening band was gone.
1: Yes. That was the best. When I saw that on the Ticket Stub, I was like, oh my God. Evening with Rush, no opening band. This is going to be amazing.
0: And we talked a few weeks back about Test for Echo possibly being the least liked by fans of all Rush albums. And you pointed out, but hey, they went to the show and were blown away at the show. Yeah, and this is the show that you saw on the Test for Echo tour, and it was fantastic.
1: It was fantastic. You know, I we haven't been to that many shows, I guess compared to some people, but we've been to a lot. So they kind of swirl in and out of my head, but listening to this, listening to this, uh, this past week, oh man, brought back so many, so many great memories.
0: Yeah. It brings the memories flooding back. And I remembered being at specific shows when I was listening to this, which is incredible. Yeah. Now, most of the album was recorded at the world music theater in Tinley park, Illinois, and five songs are from other tour stops, and then three songs from the counterparts
1: tour. Um, and I just looked it up, Steve. On the inside of the album, there's a picture of the Odeon, Hammersmith Odeon, and there's Neil in one of the upper windows of the Hammersmith Odeon. Oh, he's not on the cover. I oh, thought
0: you were, okay. So I thought I was, I was looking at the cover. I was looking in the little circles in the Tinker Toys. Yeah, so it was uh. I. <laughs> I guess I got the, the definition of window wrong.
1: But then you could see him up there. You really can't see his face, but you can see his shirt. Those like bowling shirts he used to oh, wear. Oh,
0: okay. Well, that makes so, sense. That makes sense. Yeah. So so today we're going to talk about Discs 1 and 2. We're not going to talk about Disc 3. Disc 3 later appeared on the Farewell to King's 40th Anniversary box set in a longer form. So maybe we'll talk about that yeah. at a later date. We're going to focus on the first two discs of this three disc set.
1: You know, what would be great if the guys just started doing like from the vault kind of live albums, specific dates from really early. That would be awesome. Like I think the dead did that didn't Pearl Jam do that too. Pearl Jam. I think did they, rec- I think they recorded an entire concert tour every date on a concert tour to kind of get around bootleggers. I'm sure they put out other stuff, but. It'd be great, though.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, why don't we get into the songs on this fantastic live album, Jared? What do you think? Yeah. Track one is Dreamline. So as we said when we talked about Roll the Bones, this is a great Opener for a show. Yeah, it is fantastic.
1: I don't know if you uh, noticed at the beginning and throughout the song, and maybe a couple other places, there's one you can hear one person woo wooing a lot. Oh, did you yeah, notice that? I
0: did notice that? <laughs>
1: woo! He's just like everyone's so, woo. And that just reminded me of being next to somebody. Every once in a while, when you're at a concert, there's just somebody <laughs> who cannot control themselves and they just are so into it, they're just wooing and, and yelling the whole time. And that's what this person was doing but that's what I think
0: makes this live album a little bit different than the previous three is you can hear the crowd a lot more on this record. Yeah. And I like that.
1: I like it too. You can hear them a little, like the fact that you can make out this person, this one individual going woo woo a lot. <laughs> that's the only <laughs> downside for me. I just wish, like I said, cause it reminds me of somebody being next to you. like, will you just be quiet, please? I'm trying to enjoy this concert. But other than that, you know, for the most part, 98% of it, it's just like a perfect balance of, of crowd and music.
0: And the thing that jumped out at me on this particular song is Getty's bass tone.
1: Oh God. Yeah.
0: Just amazing. Yep. And I do want to point out that when Getty was mixing this, he thought he was mixing
1: Rush's final album. Don't you think? Uh, I think so. I mean, Neil had said that consider him retired, right?
0: Right. So picture Getty in the studio with Paul Northfield mixing this thing and thinking this is, this is it, man. This is the retrospective of our career that I'm putting together here.
1: I wonder if that's why it sounds so amazing because you would think that, you know, a a more selfish person would be like, oh, let's make the bass sound great. (laughs) Like, Getty would be like, oh, let's make the bass sound great, but everything sounds great. Neil's drums sound great. Alex's guitar between the, the low strings and the high strings. The low strings are deep and nasty and the high strings ring clear every time. It's a great mix.
0: Yep. And speaking of that, let's move on to track two Limelight. This one, what jumped out to me is Alex. Of course. Because it's Limelight.
1: It's Limelight. Probably the best solo. Probably my my favorite solo. I shouldn't say best solo. Probably my favorite solo. And Steve, you know what makes a return this episode? Can you see what that is? Oh. This is my Alex solo adjective cup. Pull it out. Should I pull out a solo, an adjective to describe his solo? Sure. This one is riotous. It really is. It really is. Riotous. I agree with that. It is definitely one. Well, like I said before, Limelight might be my favorite solo, but this, this version of his solo, man, they were on fire this tour, weren't they?
0: They were. And on this song, you could still hear that guy. Because I wrote down yeah. here, you can hear the woo-woo guy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that might have been us. Woo-wooing. We weren't in Chicago, Jar. We didn't go to that show. I'm sure whatever shows we went to. We were woo wooing. You
0: were the woo woo guy. Well, that's you. You ruined the Madison Square Garden show at this <laughs> on this tour, probably.
1: That's why they couldn't use it. We couldn't
0: use it. That freaking guy <laughs> Jerry was wooing the whole time.
1: Who is that guy He's wooing? <laughs> um, and I like the fact that, um, that Getty talks to the crowd a little bit. Yeah, and a couple of places in here, he does the greatest of all rock and roll things, which is a, a an exuberant yeah or woo, you know man he while he's playing would just be like oh you know he pulls away from the <laughs> microphone but you i love i love that a well-placed woo by a singer or some kind of grunt that shows how all how into the song that they are can make or break a song
0: indeed indeed so let's move on to track three making its first appearance on a live record jer driven
2: it's my drive, but it's my
1: Steve, I'm just going to jump in here Please. and say what needs to be said. Getty's funky bass solo thing.
0: Oh, Steve. totally. That's what I wrote down here. The bass solo is crazy. I don't even remember that
1: from the concert. You don't? Do you remember? No, I don't. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. He's got a little reverb or echo on it. Yeah. Oh, man. what I just cannot believe that when I heard that. I must have listened to that song three times in a row just to hear that over and over and over again.
0: We've got to throw a little bit of it in here. Let's do it. Just the fact that Getty was by himself. I mean, it was a solo. Yeah. You very rarely hear a bass solo at a concert, but this was a bass solo.
1: Right. And the tone of that is just like the nastiest thing in the world. I mean, in the best way possible, right? Yeah. It's so guttural and it has nothing. It's, it's like, I'm sure it was the same in every show, but it's definitely you know, like an improv thing that they threw in because it's not in the song. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. So good. There's a lot of that on this album, actually, right? Oh, yeah. A, little, a couple of improv things here and there.
0: It's fantastic. And the the sound on Alex's acoustic guitar is great. Mm-hmm. And my favorite part of the song, I may have mentioned this when we talked about Test for Echo, when Getty says it's my turn to drive, just that point where it just kicks into that part is just, yep. it's just one of those great rush moments.
1: It is. It absolutely is.
0: And when I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that, Test for Echo is one of Rush's least loved albums. That doesn't mean it's not a great album.
1: Well, I mean, yeah, something has to be last,
0: right? Even Rush's Rush's worst album, if if that in fact is Rush's worst album, is still better than most bands' best album to me.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's like George Carlin said, right? Just by the process of elimination somewhere in the world, there's the worst doctor. I mean, it just has to be, right? Somewhere... Not everybody. Someone's got to be at the bottom. right. How, how, how good the list is. Somebody's at the bottom of the list. I
0: hope it's not your doctor.
1: <laughs> it might be. Well, the <laughs> other, the, the other punchline of that joke is, and somebody has an appointment to see him tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I love Carlin.
0: <laughs> the other thing I wanted to point out is our friend Dale Heslip did the video that they played in the background during this song. That's right. And it was great too.
1: That crazy little video with those people in those cars.
0: You can't see it on the live
1: album though, unfortunately. No, you can imagine it though. The theater of the mind. Well, yeah. And and when
0: I was listening to it, I'm picturing that video because I just remember being at the show and watching that video and
1: just loving it. Should I break with tradition and find an adjective for Getty's bass solo? Please. Let's see. Magical.
0: Magical. 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 You know, I might switch them. I think Alex's solo on Limelight was magical, and Getty's bass solo was riotous.
1: That's, I agree. Swap them. Swap them.
0: All right. Track four is Bravado. Another song making its first appearance on a live album. Jer, thoughts on this one?
1: Well, you know, I wasn't a big fan of bravado. You know, thinking that, you know, that mid-tempo rush isn't my favorite type of rush. Mm -hmm. But this is a great version. Of course, it is. It's, it's again. It's the. I've said this probably a hundred times. The power of seeing a live band, even even songs that may drag on the record. If you get a good crowd and the the band is in a good mood or the show is just going great, even a song like this just has some kind of pep to it that you can't really put your finger on.
0: There are certain songs on this album that are far better than the studio versions, and this is one of them.
1: This is one of them. That's right.
0: I always loved Neil's drums on this. He's fantastic here. And Alex is really hot in the mix here, and I think that was done deliberately, and I think it's great.
1: Yeah, I think he needs to be, right? Because he's playing acoustic at the beginning, Mm -hmm. is he not? Or am I mistaken about that? Mm -hmm. So I guess they just brought him up. One thing that I noticed is that Getty's background vocals, or backing vocals. Yep. you, You have something to say about that?
0: Yeah. There's some sort of sample going on. It's layered vocals, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds amazing. Sounds great. Yeah. I agree, Steve. We agree again. We're thinking the same things, Joe. We're thinking the same <laughs> things. This particular song was not recorded in Chicago. This is from the Counterparts tour, April 30th, no. 1994. So I was also reading in Martin Popoff's book that Getty, for these particular songs, picked and chose the best of the best. Mm-hmm. So this was the best version of bravado he found from, I guess, both tours, Counterparts and Test for Echo. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I like the extended ending.
0: Oh yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's great. Fantastic.
1: That would be a great job, wouldn't it? To be hired to like just comb through all of these great soundboard recorded live albums and pick the best version of songs.
0: Maybe we can apply for that job.
1: <laughs> Let's apply for that job. And it's like when you're a kid, you know, and you think maybe you can get a job uh, you know, playing Nintendo somewhere. <laughs> Because you love it so much. It would be great if you could just listen to Rush albums all day. Send Rush's
0: management your resume, your qualifications for this job. This podcast is good to have on your resume for that.
1: I guess so. What else would I put on my resume? I have no other qualifications (laughs) other than I have ears. (laughs) Well, there you go. Two ears and lots of time.
0: They have a good sense of humor. They might like that. (laughs) Track five on different stages, Jer, is anime. Now, this was a Rush concert staple. Yeah. After counterparts, the drums are in the forefront on this. I think. What do you think?
1: Yep. Oh yeah. Yep. The groove in the verses is unparalleled. Yeah. They really do. They can groove. Everyone forgets that about Rush. That you know, people think they're just like this hard rock band or whatever. But they can find a good groove right in that pocket, man, and just ride it out the whole song.
0: And Getty seems to be taking a different aspect of the band and highlighting it on each song. Yeah. Like this one, I think he brought the drums to the forefront. On Driven, like you said, he brings the bass to the forefront. On Bravado, it was Alex. He's mixing it up here, and I think he's doing it perfectly.
1: He is. That's why I was, th- this is why I owe uh, you know Ryan uh, an apology again. This is a great album. We're only five songs in.
0: I know. And this particular track was recorded June 23rd 1997 that is the test for Echo Tour Mansfield Massachusetts so this was cherry picked by Getty as a highlight and it sure is
1: it Sure is absolutely
0: Track 6 on different stages Jerry's show don't tell We've been talking a lot about how Rush got heavier on counterparts. We talked with Martin Popoff about that a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. but this song's from Presto and yeah. it's pretty damn heavy.
1: It is heavy. That's what I wrote down. I put, this song has real cojones. It does. It does. Right. It's just, it, the beginning, you know, it's just got like the kind of like, I don't know, atmospheric kind mm-hmm. of percussion, stuff happened to it. But when it just kicks in again, this is a great, this is a great example of Alex. Again, just ripping through this song.
0: Oh, totally. And there's one thing that jumped out at me. I'm wondering if it's the same thing that jumped out at you. We've been on the same page so far here. You're not going to guess what it is.
1: I'm going to say I wrote down, um, Alex's guitar work behind Getty's bass right before the guitar solo.
0: I wrote down Alex's backing vocals. You can really hear Alex on this song singing and he sounds great. Yep.
1: He does. I'm assuming it's him, right? Well, who else could it be? Neil never sung. It could be recorded, you know, uh Getty background vocals, no?
0: No, no. It sounds it sounds like somebody else. Right, that's what I thought. And that somebody else has to be Alex, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. But his guitar solo on this one is is another just full on glorious. Get out the cup, Jer. I said the word glorious, though. That's already an adjective. Let's see what the (laughs) cup says. I didn't want to use any adjectives. If the cup says glorious, we should just end it right here. Uh, It says surprising. I'll take that, right? Because no, it's not good enough. I like glorious better than surprising. Okay. I don't think the cup's letting us down. Maybe I shouldn't go to the cup so often this episode. Surprising?
0: Come on. It's not surprising that Alex did a great (laughs) solo. Never surprising.
1: You let me down, cup.
0: That one was from the Counterparts tour, Jar. Oh man, Miami Arena, two twenty seven ninety four.
1: Do you know where we saw? Do you have ticket stubs for this episode, Steve?
0: Not in my hands. Not in my hands. We do have them. Yeah, I don't know where we saw them on this. I know we saw them at the Arts Center. Yeah, we see them at the Arts Center. <laughs> I'll get into that later. I I know why I remember that too. Oh, okay. But let's get into track seven first. Sure. The trees.
1: You know what I'm going to say here, Joe? Um, you want to hear what I wrote down? Yeah. Shut the front door. Because <laughs> this version of the trees is insane.
0: Could it be better than the exit stage left version, Jar? You love
1: exit stage left. It Very well. You're nodding <laughs> your head. That doesn't really work on the podcast. Uh, because I, have, I don't even know what to say. I wrote down two things. Shut the front door. And come on with an exclamation point. This version of The Trees is, like I said, insane in the membrane. It is the craziest, greatest. It might be the greatest version, recorded version of The Trees. I think so. I was listening to it. I was, oh, I couldn't, ah, man, because I really hadn't listened to this album since it came out. I'm not a big live album person anyway. Right. And I hadn't listened to this since it came out, and I was just floored by this version. I I just can't even believe it now, how good this version is. And
0: Rush were what, in their mid-40s when this came out? They were at their peak here, live, I think.
1: Yeah. You would think. Yeah. Should we get an adjective? Let's see what the cup. If the cup doesn't work this time for the adjective to describe this entire song, I'm just going to put the cup to the side. You ready?
0: All right. We're on our own if this doesn't work. Go ahead.
1: I don't even know what this word is. (laughs)
0: <laughs> throw out the cup
1: indefectible infectable indefectible oh i thought you said infectable <laughs> infectable this version is so infectable <laughs> i've got i've got
0: <laughs> i like that better
1: okay cups going to the side bye cup
0: that one is from the test for echo tour may 24th 1997 in dallas and i love the quiet interlude at the end that they threw in that's another extra piece that we were talking about
1: i'm just wondering steve if we had these kind of conversations after these shows about how amazing they were we must have right of course we did of course we did it's crazy track eight on different stages is nobody's hero
0: His acoustic guitar, of course, stands out here. Yep, and Getty's voice, those are the two things that jumped out at me on this one.
1: Yeah, and once again, mid tempo rush, not my favorite, but this version is fantastic. I'm telling yeah. you, Getty, if Getty's cherry picking versions of songs, he deserves a Grammy. Is there a Grammy for cherry picking songs? Is that like a, a, a category? There should be, right? There should be, and there's cool. Like, uh, I don't know if it's reverb or if it's on his voice or if it's just like pre-recorded. You know, when he says things like, uh, unrewarding job, and then right behind him it says, unrewarding job. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Throughout the song, just a great, they must have pre-recorded that stuff. And it just fits in so well. It really fills out. Everything on this album is filled out perfectly in every respect.
0: They just perfected the art of doing the live show by this point. Absolutely. Perfected it. Yeah. And speaking of that, we move on to track nine, which is Closer to the Heart.
2: And the man who
0: now, Jared, this song appeared on Exit Stage Left and A Show of Hands. Yep, and now this album, mm-hmm. which is the best, this one, this one, yeah. I still say a show of hands.
1: I don't know, man. I'm gonna have to listen to it back to back. I was so <laughs> impressed by this version, like that little jam thing that they do in there. Yeah, right. That's always great. This one was particularly fantastic.
0: The more we talk about it, the more we realize that Ryan Reed is the master. He might be. He might be the master.
1: He knows really what's going on. The one word I wrote down for this was super jam, because it's just a jammy jam song.
0: And we're just about to wrap up side one or disc one of this album. Oh, boy. And we come to 2112. Let me read you a quote, Jeff. This is again from Martin Popoff's book. We changed a bit of the emphasis and changed the tuning of the song a little bit to give it a heavier feel. But other than that, it's a fairly accurate representation of it. 22 years later, I was really pleased with the way that came out. It was a lot more fun to play live than I ever thought it would be. And that's the thing that jumped out at me. This is way heavier. Than the yes. original, if that's even
1: possible. Yeah. I'm assuming it has to do with the fact that Getty couldn't hit those notes, so they had to tune it down a little bit. But it sounds better. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is a fantastic... Oh, man. So, it's so good. Especially, like, um, toward the end, right? Like, during soliloquy, when he was, you know, I wish that this would come to pass, not and like, all my dreams, and it's bam, mm-hmm. bam! <laughs> There's just, like, the loudest noise you could possibly imagine, and then, like, complete silence and then loud again. It's a great version. It's better. Oh, I'm going to, people are going to write emails about this one, but it's, it's better than the um, studio version. It's not like you're saying some rush cover band did a better version of it.
0: This is rush <laughs> doing a better version of their own song. There's nothing wrong with that.
1: I remember seeing this and just being delighted beyond delight that we had seen them do the whole thing. I felt like, uh, you
0: can die now.
1: Yeah, right. Exactly. Something that come full circle. And if I never saw another Rush show, I'd be happy because they played 2112 in its entirety.
0: It, w- it was incredible. And I guess they figured since they're doing an evening with Rush, if they're ever going to do it, now's the time to do it. Cause they're going to do more. The time, right. They're going to do more albums and they'll have more to squeeze into the show. If we're going to do it, let's do it.
1: And yeah, let's go whole hog.
0: And thankfully they did. Thankfully they did. They did. So let's move on to disc two. We finished up disc one. Let's
1: do disc two. That's the logical progression. Test for Echo.
2: Now,
0: Now this song, Joe, was only played on the Test for Echo tour. Not at the top of my list of favorite Rush songs, to be perfectly honest.
1: True. I, I think the same way. But but not a terrible version. I, I like this. No, it's a good version. Good version. Again, I like it better than the studio version. Probably just because, you know, there's just such, there's a, some kind of underlying energy to it that mm-hmm. isn't on the studio version. Which again is why you go to see a live band.
0: Indeed. I don't think we have much else to say about Test for Echo. So let's move on to track twelve, shall we? The Analog Kid. Yeah. it or not this is the first appearance of the analog kid on a rush live album yeah and one of the songs i always waited to hear at a rush show and i believe this might be the first time that they played it at a show we attended on this tour i'd have to look that up but i'm pretty sure
1: yeah this song is great on the studio recording and greater live oh yeah the energy and this the jam this song is just a a jam for all, all jam times and the clarity that they get on Alex's guitar when he's playing this solo cuz it can, you know he's playing so fast but the thing with Alex all the time is that he's a he's a shredder right he can shred but he's not a muddy shredder he every you can hear every single note that he's playing and on this solo on this on this song you can hear every single finger moving. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, and this this was always one of my favorites. Just overall.
1: Just overall, yeah.
0: Just overall. And this was cherry-picked again by Getty from March 22nd, 1994, Auburn Hills, Michigan. So this was also the Counterparts tour. Maybe that's when we saw them do the Analog hit for the first time on the
1: Counterparts tour. Yeah, it probably was. And this song really isn't, I know obviously to, to Hard rush fans, it's a popular song, but I think for the casual rush fan, this is like a, a super deep cut and for them to put it in a, a, you know, play it con- in a concert was amazing to hear it. Cause I'm not so sure that, you know, this was back in what, 92, 93, 94, 94. We didn't know what was going to be played at a show. Yeah. Unless you had seen the show on that tour. So it was like a total surprise.
0: And that was one of the best things about going to Sea Rush because we had no idea what they were going to play. And when they played this,
1: it was like, oh my God. I can't believe they're playing the Analog Kid.
0: Or like you said, when when they started playing 2112, you assume they're going to play Overture and Temples of Syrinx and that's going to be the end of it. Right. And then when they go into part three, you're like, wait a minute. Are they going to play this whole thing? (laughs) Are they going to do
1: it? That's right. (laughs)
0: oh man to be back there again and experience that again jer i know what i would give track 13 on different stages is free will This is another live rush show staple. Side two is filled with these. Yeah.
1: This version's a little slow though. It did. It did seem a little slow, right? Compared to the album version, right? Yeah, I think so. But amazing. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the thing that the part that every Rush fan looked forward to during the this song, like you always said, it's coming out of that solo. Oh yeah. And it's stupendous. It's stupendous, and you can hear the crowd. Cause that's what happened every time everyone was just like, well, they go crazy. Cause it's like, how, what did I, what's going on on stage Yeah, right now? It's, it's insane. What's going on.
0: And Rush is one of those bands. You can't complain about them playing their hits because you want to see those. Yeah, I know. I mean, they could play free will every single show and I'm not going to complain about that.
1: No, not at all. And I don't know how they feel about it. I'm, it certainly isn't any kind of obligatory thing on the fans end you know what i mean like uh, we go to see i don't know band like the stones you know they're always going to play
0: jumpin jack flash
1: yeah jumpin jack flash or satisfaction or whatever which is fine and maybe some people are just like oh i've heard satisfaction 150,000 times but i never felt that way about any of these songs like no i let's do a whole concert of free will they play free will for an hour i'd be like this is great play play it first play it last that'd be awesome
0: I never complained about the songs they played. I only complained about the songs they didn't play. (laughs) They could have played every song. You know, they could have played for six hours. I would have been happy. That's right. So let's move on to track 14, which is track four on disc two. Roll the Bones. And we've talked about this before, Joe. We're, we're not huge, huge fans of Roll the Bones, but they always
1: played it live. They always did. And the fans loved it. And I liked it too, live. Yeah, I loved it too. It's just like you were saying, you know, like what songs could they have put in? The songs they always put in were always great. Mm-hmm. I always appreciated it and loved every song they played. But, you know, since Roll the Bones isn't my favorite song, I always thought maybe they could have thrown another one of my favorite songs in. Very selfish thing to think.
0: Oh, sure. Oh, sure. But the thing is, they loved playing this song. They had the video up with all the celebrities like Paul Rudd and a few other people. Or the Skeleton. That was cool to see. And the fans yeah. loved it.
1: Yeah. People loved it.
0: You can't argue with it. No.
1: I mean, they're, I think those guys were, they're going by crowd reaction. And people love listening to Roll the Bones. They love seeing it live. So there you go.
0: And the guys enjoyed playing it. So there you go. Yeah. Done deal. Track 15 is stick it out. Another heavy one, Jar.
1: Really heavy. Really, really heavy.
0: Yeah. This is from July 2nd, 1997 in Toronto. Russia's hometown-ish.
1: Yeah. And I think it's Getty's vocals on this one for me. The backing vocals again, like those pre-recorded backing vocals. Mm-hmm. This whole song, man, it's so so heavy, and his voice just sounds so good. Some of these songs, his voice sounds as good as it ever sounded.
0: Yeah, and this and this is just a fantastic song. You know, my son Jer, who is 14 years old, he's been listening to Rush along with me because he has no choice. He told me the <laughs> other day.
1: The best way to get somebody into something.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This is his favorite Rush song. Stick it out.
1: This is his favorite Rush song. Yeah. I found that surprising. And he's listened to like all the classic ones. He's heard everything. Yeah. And this is his favorite one. Okay. Next time I see him, I'm going to ask him why. Oh, okay. I was going to say, I thought you were going <laughs> to verify. <laughs> no, I'm not going to. So your dad tells me. No, I'm going to ask him why. We'll have a little rush conversation.
0: There we go. Or we could just, we could have him as a guest for a few minutes and, and find out why. That'd be a good guest.
1: You think he would do that? Of course he would. Sure. Oh, okay. I think he would do it. <laughs> sure. Let's have him on once.
0: For a later episode. Sure. Track 16, a different stage Jar is Resist. I found listening to this interesting, because as we talked about, the live version of Resist was always better than the studio version. But this is not the acoustic version that we saw on later tours.
1: That's right. I had forgotten that they played it, not acoustic. So amazing is the acoustic version that I forgot that that they had played it before.
0: Yeah, so did I. And I have to say, I do prefer the acoustic version to this version. What do you think?
1: oh yeah absolutely I I prefer the acoustic version but what I didn't like what I don't like about the song in general on the um, studio recording is how the keyboard sound and you don't really get that same kind of keyboard sound live yeah it sounds good yeah it does it sounds great that's the theme of this album Steve it's great
0: (laughs) (laughs) and speaking of that let's move on to the next track track 7 on disc 2 is Leave That Thing Alone Now I may have said this when we talked about this song initially, but this is one of Getty's most memorable bass lines for me. Yeah, it's just funky. The bass tone is out of this world as it is on the whole record, and I think that's what stands out to me for this.
1: Yeah, it's not my favorite instrumental, but his bass tone is definitely. He's got some funky licks in there.
0: Yeah, it's great, and it fits perfectly on on this particular album and on and in this show.
1: Yeah, it does. I mean, sometimes, you know, Rush was, well, I mean, we're Rush fans, right? So we like all the songs. But there's never like a concert where you're like, oh, man, that song that they put there was really oddly placed. <laughs> there's, there's never, there was never a complaint. Like, man, they, they should have switched these two songs. Um, and on this album, hearing this song in this place sounds great. I don't know, it's just about the energy, maybe just coming off the the energy of resist i don't know what it is but it flows great and it sounds just like just like being at a rush show
0: and speaking of flow it flows perfectly into the next track on the cd which is the rhythm method So, is this the best? Yes.
1: (laughs) It is. It is. It is, right? Yeah, it absolutely is.
0: It's better than exit stage left. It's better than a show of hands. It's better Mm -hmm. than, for sure, all the world's a stage.
1: Right. The question is whether or not it's better than the much later stuff.
0: It may not be.
1: He may not be. He just keeps getting better. He just keeps getting better. This, the rhythm method is definitely, oh man, it's, it was, it's so good. It's a little shorter than some other ones, I think, right? It wasn't that long. No. But the stuff that's packed in there, and again, the recurring motifs that he's used previously and used later come in, but they come in different spots. I mean, what can I say, Steve? Nothing. 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 I can't say it.
0: There's nothing to say. Track 19 on different stages. One of my favorites, Jer, Natural Science. Now, this is where I remember being at the Garden State Arts Center in New Jersey, seeing Natural Science for the first time in my life on this tour and being just blown out of the water.
1: Yep. Never thought. That we would see this song be played.
0: Yeah. And I remember looking at you and thinking, oh my God. Right. They're freaking playing natural
1: science. I remember back then my thought was, I hope they play the whole thing. Like, I hope this isn't like some kind of weird medley where they're only going to play the beginning or something. Do you know what I mean? Oh, and when they did. They played the whole thing. The whole thing, Steve. It might
0: be my best rush concert experience ever. The first time I saw them do natural science. That might be it.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a I,
0: I don't know. I'd have to I'd have to think about it, but but I just remember being euphorious when they played this song.
1: Yeah, I mean it sounds like like a studio piece. Like what isn't that what Neil said? Some songs were just meant to be experiments in the studio. Right. Like what was it, witch hunt or something mm-hmm. like that. And that's what this sounds like because there's like three parts to it. Everything sounds different. It's just the craziest, crazy song that's ever crazed but they play it live and you're like oh my god how do people play this song live and sound so good and Al- everybody sounds good the only thing i wrote down about this song is i just put the word insane because first of all alex is killing it the entire album for this concert album and on this song He kills it and he buries it. You know what I mean? Like this, the guitar on this song, his solo on this song. Solos, I should say, right?
0: Yeah. Man. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. And we've only, we've only got three tracks left on disc two, and It's just gets better and better from here. Yep. The spirit of radio. What else is there to say? Every time Rush played this song live, it was a highlight. And here it's no different. Nope. I don't know what to say. Really, the thing is, I kind of lump these last three songs together just because there really isn't anything to say.
1: No. This is classic, classic Rush concert memory. It's hearing a, a run of songs like Spirit of Radio, Tom Sawyer, and YYZ in a row to end the show.
0: Let's play a little bit of Tom
2: Sawyer.
0: And again, never get sick of hearing this one. Ever.
1: Never. Never, ever.
0: And Rush wrapped up the show with YYZ. I
1: know. I don't know. I mean, to see the show, uh, to see a set like this, and to have the last song be YYZ. I mean, you're you're. People are begging for more at the end of this. You play YYZ last and you were just like, I wish this concert could go on forever. You know what I mean? This is the kind of song that does not let you down at the end of a concert.
0: I'm going to ask you an impossible question. Okay. The last three songs on this disc, the spirit of radio, Tom Sawyer, YYZ, which of these three songs did you like to see Rush perform live the most?
1: Which of these three? Mm, that is a hard one, Steve.
0: I mean, the answer is all of the above. Right. But I'm not going to let you pick that one.
1: I'm probably going to go YYZ.
0: Always. I would go The Spirit of Radio. Only because of the, the crowd interaction with that song. That's true. Yeah, that's true. That that part I always love that they involve the crowd so much, and you felt like you were part of it.
1: Yeah, I'm going with Y Y Z because again, it's got a great groove. Do you know what I mean? Again, a a, a rock band, progressive rock band, whatever. Grooving <laughs> this song is Y Y Z is a groovy tune. If you if you really kind of get into the get into it, it's it's got a great 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 groove.
0: So we may have answered this question already. Is Ryan Reed right? Is this Rush's greatest live
1: album? What do you say? Yes, I agree with him.
0: Now, we've listened to all of Rush's live albums, but we've listened to the first four now more closely because we talked about them on the podcast. Do you think when we listen to Rush and Rio, when we listen to Clockwork Angels Live, when we listen to those other live albums, are we going to change our minds or is this the definitive, this is Russia's best live album?
1: I think this is the definitive live album because I've listened to Russian Rio, not the whole thing, but relatively recently I was listening to a couple of songs. I think I was trying to, I was playing YYZ for one of my daughters just so she could hear the crowd singing along with an instrumental mm-hmm. track. And I think the version on, on, different stages is better.
0: I think I have to agree with Ryan. I think this yep. is Rush's greatest live album. He was absolutely right.
1: I know. Did we say re- anything really bad about him on the no, show? No, no. We just disagree you, with him. You just said he was wrong. Okay.
0: I think your bigger beef with him was putting All the Worlds a Stage last rather than putting different stages first.
1: That is, yes, that is true. I don't think it deserves to be last.
0: Right, but the thing is, what does... If I made you pick, which live album would you put last?
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't, Steve. I, I can't. Estimate. And
0: here's the thing: no matter which one you pick, I could argue that you're wrong.
1: I'd like to see you try, Steve. I'd like to see you try.
0: Well, you have to pick the album first, <laughs> and then I can try.
1: You think about it. Are we gonna do all the live albums, and then we'll have to figure out, or are we just...
0: I don't know. We haven't. We haven't talked about it yet. No. We'll talk
1: about it off air.
0: <laughs> you can find us on Twitter. We are at Rush Fan Cast. Instagram, we are at the TheRushCast. Email Jerry. Let him know what you thought of our discussion on different stages. Is it Rush's greatest live album? You tell us. TheRushCast at gmail.com. The bass intro and outro was Lex. He's amazing. And Jer, hope you got a quote for us to wrap this up nicely.
1: I do. Here it is. If the dream is won, though everything is lost, we will pay the price, but we will not count the cost.
0: Nice. I like that. Yes. Take it easy.
1: See you, Steve.